Hello. My name is Greg Channon, and I'm the Chief Geologist at Elixir Energy. Elixir is exploring for CDM or CSM, coal seam gas, in Mongolia. I lead their technical operations, and I've been involved with the business for the last three years. Greg, nice to meet you. You, you say that you're in um, hot and sweaty Perth at the moment. What's the temperature there at the moment? Yeah, so the temperature here is uh, 40 degrees. Uh, in Perth, we've had a long, hot summer of uh, many, many days. And uh, uh, at the same time, uh, we're sort of like everybody around the world, battling COVID, but uh, doing the best we can. Well, I think um, we could do some of your long, hot summers here. It's a, it's a pretty miserable February day here in the UK with uh, sleet and snowflakes and grey skies. And uh, anyway, never mind. Um, so Elixir Energy, Mongolia. Um, now, I'm not the world's expert by any stretch on oil and gas. So you're going to have to be very gentle with me today and um, um, walk me through this. Um, could you just for my benefit, kind of explain what you're trying to do in terms of um, coal bed methane, coal seam um, methane, what what Elixir is kind of really trying to do on a kind of technical side of things in terms of getting molecules from underground to market. Yes, uh, certainly. Well, uh, look, I guess our expertise in, in coal seam gas comes from uh, Australia on the East Coast, where we have mm. an enormous world-class business that produces uh, gas from coal seams and then puts it through LNG facilities uh, to be sold all over the world. And Elixir has uh, identified that uh, Mongolia is a place where the coal remains untapped. And so uh, we've set about trying to unlock the coal seam gas potential of Mongolia, which we think uh, you know, can have significant reserves of gas uh, coming out from, from the coal. Uh, what, we've, uh, what we've done here is we've secured a block which is surrounding uh, one of the world's largest thermal coal mines, being Tavern Tolgoy. And so we know the coal is present here, and it's present in thicknesses which are unheard of in most of the world, many hundreds of metres of coal, which uh, is very, very significant. Uh, the coals are Permian in age, which means they're very similar to those of the Bowen Basin in Australia. So there are analogues. But at the same time, of course, uh, Mongolia and sort of Northern Asia is geologically very different to, to that of Eastern Australia. And on, I, sorry, just, just, a, just a quick question. So in, in what you're looking for in a, in a coal bed methane is you're looking for uh, rocks at a certain depth, which have been, I mean, it, uh, why are they not being exploited, exploited for coal? Is it because of a depth thing? Um, uh, is, it, is it a kind of a total organic contents thing? You know, what, what are the key parameters you look for in your, in your um, coal seam? Yes, well, look, I think the Gobi Desert uh, where we're exploring is at the moment well underexplored. Now, uh, coal seam gas then is the gas that is actually uh, attached to the uh, kerogen molecules and absorbed to the rock. So it's an unconventional type of hydrocarbon, unlike a conventional sandstone reservoir where the gas is free within the porous space. And so uh, what we attempt to do with coal seam gas production is lower the pressure of the coal to a point where the gas can desorb off of the kerogens and flow. And we do that by producing water. And as we produce the water that is uh, innately surrounding the coal, so the pressure drops and the gas uh, comes with it. So you, you, you put a well in, 
pump the water out, pressure changes, gas desorbs. It's like kind of opening the bottle of your champagne or your Coca-Cola bottle and kind of suddenly the gas desorbs. Um, and then um, do you, how do you capture the gas? Does it go up the same, does it come up in the water or does it come, do you have a separate um, mechanism? No, so it will. So the one hole will produce water and gas. And what we find in the production life of a coal seam gas well is the well starts producing water at perhaps uh, several hundred barrels of water per day. And then gradually the gas uh, comes with it and eventually takes over. So as the water uh, decreases, so the gas increases until you flow uh, pretty much clean uh, gas from the well. And is that water um, a waste product? Is it a clean, I mean, you know, what do you have to do to that water to make it of use um, well, at the surface? Yeah, but- Yes, well, the water, uh, in the first instance, the water is collected in evaporation ponds. Uh, it is, in our example, a brackish, uh, total dissolved solids of around 13,000, which means not quite salt, not salt water, but it wouldn't be nice to drink. Uh, so in the short term, that will be evaporated. In the summers, uh, the Gobi Desert is hot enough to evaporate. In the winter, probably less so. And in the long term, we'll probably consider either processing the water so it is uh, potable and could be used for uh, uh, plants or, or animals or alternatively uh, re-injecting it into the earth, which also isn't that expensive. And, and what, are the, um, what do you look for in terms of a productive coal seam bed? You know, to, um, sorry, this is kind of um, engineering 101 or kind of uh, extraction 101. Um, You know, if you're exploring for this, what are the parameters that you want to see? What made the Bone Basin a uh, productive hub for LNG? Well, look, there are a lot of key elements uh, to that. I think the first one, and you touched on it earlier, was uh, depth. So there's a sweet spot in coal seam gas with regard to depth where you'd like to be, look, probably below about 300 metres and above 800 metres. And uh, above 300 metres, uh, um, what, what we find is that uh, uh, the gas saturations are, are too low. The, uh, the permeability is very good because you don't have much uh, uh, compaction on top, but the gas can tend to escape. And then similarly at 800 metres, uh, the hydrocarbon content is very good, but now you've got a significant overburden of rock and the, and the permeability starts to uh, decrease. So you'll find most of the work that uh, we're looking at is uh, drilling in between about 300 and 800 metres. However, uh, with modern technology and stimulation, uh, we can probably go well beyond that to 1,000 or at most about 1,200. So that's kind of the first thing we're looking for in terms of the, of the area. In terms of the coal quality, uh, look, we need to have coals that are about sub-bitumous. Uh, so not uh, in, in terms of the ranks of coal, it starts with a soft brown coal and then it extends all the way to an anthracite, which is uh, uh, highly cooked. And if it's, uh, too, if it's brown, it hasn't been cooked enough. It's a bit like a cake, frankly. Uh, you've got to get it in the oven just right. If it, if it doesn't bake, you won't enjoy it. If you burn it, it's no good either. So uh, we want to be kind of in the middle in about the subbitumous range is where uh, where we are. Now, uh, so we've got a depth which is going to give us uh, hopefully uh, our, our appropriate permeability. Uh, we've got uh, the gas then. Uh, but the next question is, is there any cleating or fracturing within the coal that can assist? 
and that will even uh, increase the uh, the permeability higher. And sometimes, of course, you can have free gas or conventional gas trapped within the fractures as well. And so, and, uh, and, and, yeah. and, and, and if the free ground, the, the free gas and the trap gas, of course, would need a um, would need a trap above the. So you need an impermeable layer above the at some point above yes, that, the coal bed yeah, methane. Yeah, that, that, that is correct, yes, if, if it was for the more conventional. So that's not what we rely on, but okay. uh, our experience is, you know, around the world, you can have a benefit uh, from that. And look, what we found with these fractures, and these are fractures that we've actually found in our non-gone discovery, which we'll talk about uh, shortly, but we've seen where you get faulting and fracturing on top of just the normal cleating that's associated with the coals, you can increase the permeability from around 10 millidarcies up to around about 100. And so it's an order of uh, magnitude difference, and that can really make a difference for uh, productivity. And um, how do you assess resources, gas resources in a, in a, in a coal bed? Do you... Um, do you do, do do well tests? I mean, how is is there a convention for kind of thickness times organic content times kind of um, pressure and temperature and um, um, where it is on the uh, on the on the kind of the the, the cracked scale? Uh, you know, how do how how does how does one go about assessing how many BCFs or possibly TCFs there are in a coal bed? Um, resource? Yes, well, look, there is a, a kind of a general equation. It's not really too different from uh, that of conventional uh, oil and gas, really. Uh, in the first instance, of course, it's you've got to consider the rock volume, which is really the area times the thickness. And so that's, that's, the, primary, that's the primary factor. So you need to know how big it is and then uh, how thick it could be. Uh, beyond that, of course, the total organic content, the void space that, uh, uh, that, that could be present, uh, the amount of ash uh, and potentially moisture uh, that, are, that are in there are also taken into that calculation. And then finally, you get to a, uh, a potential gas in place that is uh, dissolved you know, within the rock. And then from there, we can also estimate the recovery factor, uh, which uh, at this stage, of course, we don't know the recovery factor of our rocks in, uh, in the non-GOM block, but we can take analogies from all over the world uh, where, uh, where that's done. And what, what are you, um, as a kind of a working hypothesis, what are you using as that kind of um, the, the, that primary input of your recovery factor? Yeah, well, it'd be about a 30 or 40, perhaps even 50%. I think we'd have a range like that. We don't uh, obviously uh, uh, have 80 or 90%. I mean, if it was conventional gas, you might see it as high as 70, but you wouldn't see it that high in uh, in the unconventional space. Okay, great. And um, so... It, it, I, I read in, in one of the, um, I, I think I was speaking to, or I, I listened to one of Neil's presentations about uh, exploring for, uh, you know, exploring one sub-basin and then, then looking for more sub-basins. So can you, let, let's just move now on to um, the Nongon block itself. Perhaps, mm -hmm. could you, could you pull up a, you showed me that map earlier. Could you just um, yes, share sure. that with me now? Because um, it's a big old area, isn't it? Yes, well, it certainly is. Um, so I think it's some 30,000, sorry, Oh, yeah. Share button. I jumped ahead of you there. Uh, so some 30,000 uh, square kilometres. It's a very, very big area. Uh, I'll just point out here, uh, just for interest, is that there are two areas that are excised uh, from it. One is the Tavern Tolgoy uh, coal mine, which you can you can see my uh, uh, pointer, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the one in the north. And then this other little small block here is the OU Tolgoy 
copper copper gold mine uh, belonging to Rio Tinto. So within yeah. our block, there is a tremendous amount of resources. Some un- surprisingly unrelated to uh, to our to our gas business, but uh, and the reason for that actually is because. Uh, although uh, you can't make it out on this slide, this is just an image of the uh, of the surface uh, from space, is that uh, the Nongon block and the Gobi Desert consists of a series of broad uh, valleys and ranges. And so the ranges uh, might be uh, 20 or 30 kilometres apart. The ranges might be uh, 20 or 30 kilometres apart. Uh, and in between them, uh, you've got the basins where uh, you've got the sediments. So the uh, the mountains are generally the old basement rocks where where you might find, for instance, another gold mine, and then in between them are the so uh, sedimentary basins. Okay, and the, the the coal seams that are being mined by the power station, those are open pit, presumably. They're all kind of sticking out yes, of the surface. Yes, they are correct. And okay, so that's and so that's where they're at the surface, and of course we're looking for those very same coals throughout this area in in similar depot centres where they're, you know, between about 300 and 800 metres. Okay. And, you know, have, have you found enough to get started or are you, um, you know, for for Elixir to, um, you know, I, I, see, I see that you're planning 22 wells this year and you're kind of moving towards pilot test work. I mean, are, are, are you in one sub-basin, which has given you a starter resource, and are you looking for the next sub-basin? I'm, um, yes. Well, look, there's, uh, there's probably... Uh, you know, 20 or 30 TCF of gas spread all over these uh, these sub-basins and we're, as a prospective resource. And so we're exploring them, uh, well, pretty much one at a time. And we, we need to do that. We need uh, research on the geology, which includes surface mapping, uh, gravity analysis, and, of course, seismic. And as we get the seismic, so we drill the wells. And, look, I think it's fair to say in the northern area, one of the, the depot centres uh, didn't contain any coal where we drilled it, which was disappointing. But elsewhere, we've been very successful in identifying uh, coal deposits. And our first coal discovery was in the Nongon uh, area, which is pretty well in the south central part of the block. Now, when we say we've got a, a, a coal seam gas discovery, I think I define that by saying we have intersected coal that has dissolved gas and has identified permeability via testing that shows that the gas will flow if it is depression. And so in the case of uh, uh, Nongon, that's what we've done. And so from there, we can have a contingent resource. Uh, and then as we go forward, every other uh, depot centre that we have success with, we add, uh, if we've got all those parameters, then we have another contingent resource. So um, we step by this very slowly. It's an enormous resource, but of course, it's step by step to, to build it up to be something commercial. Okay, and at Nomgon, how many wells have you got in and what kind of area are you looking at? Okay, so the Nomgon area is probably uh, around uh, 20 to 30 kilometres long. It's about uh, 10 kilometres wide. We've drilled uh, seven wells in there at the moment. And, and- uh, in uh, July this year, we'll be undertaking our first pilot production test in this area with an intention to flow uh, gas. Um, so in those seven wells, have the thicknesses and the kind of the geological indicators that you've you've intersected, have they been relatively uh, consistent across the, 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 um, the area? And what's the spacing of those seven holes? Have they been 
you know, within 100 metres of each other or are they five kilometres apart? Uh, well, they, they do vary. So some of them are a few hundred metres apart and some of them are five or so kilometres apart, depending on where we're investigating. Uh, in terms of the rocks, rel relatively uh, uh, similar throughout, throughout that region, we get about up to 100 metres of coal. So, uh, and most of that is, is perspective. Some of it at the shallow, of course, if it's near the surface, which some of it is, then of course it doesn't have the gas because it's above uh, 300 metres. But generally mm. uh, it's, it's, con it's relatively consistent. Although I think I would have to say though that the geology and the structural geology in particular of the Gobi Desert is complex and we do get surprises from time to time. So this, this Permian coal, it, it, it's, it's had a number of, kind of structural events and then the basin and range, I mean, those are obviously extensional depositional de de centres, but has there been compression and transpression since then? Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, look, and we've worked this very hard. It's, it's just quite complex, but the, we've had at least two or three um, uh, stages of tectonic uh, change. Uh, we started with, uh, as you exactly right, a extensional, probably half graben uh, type of depositional environment. Uh, it's then been compressed, and it now is in wrench uh, in, a, in a kind of a wrench or slight strip, sorry, a strike uh, slip um, yep. uh, situation. Okay, and so uh, there's, there's a lot of structural mapping to do. The the, the seismic will really help. So um, presumably 3D seismic, even just cross lines on seismic will really help. Uh, work out the kind of I don't know whether they're any ramp relay structures or just kind of the the, the, the scale and the sh the the morphology of the blocks you know this the the, the cold blocks because 100 meters is a, is a good um, is a good thickness to act as a marker horizon does does that pop, does it pop up nicely on the seismic can you can you see the cold uh, well yes um, look interestingly not not at first we we thought we had identified the see coals of course. Are, uh, are very brittle and they generally stand out on the seismic. Uh, but interestingly, in this part of, uh, of Mongolia, we've got a lot of conglomerates which sit over the top of it. That's very common that we drink, that we drill in the Triassic before we get to the Permian. Uh, we drill probably two or 300 metres of these interbedded uh, conglomerates. And uh, what we've found is they soak up a lot of the energy. And so we don't see the bright reflectors that you typically would for coal. Uh, notwithstanding that, after a few wells, though, we retuned our seismic and we are able to determine, you know, where the coal uh, should be. So, again, not, not an easy uh, thing to do, but we did get there in the end. Okay, and um, with the seven holes, seven wells that you've got at Nongon, is, is that enough to put a contingent resource on it? Or do you have to put more wells in first to come up with a kind of an initial estimate no we've got a contingent resource already uh, based on those uh, those seven worlds and is it sorry is it public i, I might have missed it yes i think it is uh, and i think it's around about 20 i think in the middle case around uh, 25 uh, bcf and on the high side uh, i think it was up around uh, the 50 uh, I, okay gee, i hope i'm close on those numbers i don't have them to hand okay no that's that's fine it's, it gives me an order of magnitude um good and um when you talk which is about modest. Pilot... So just Merlin, by the way, which is modest. We we acknowledge that because yeah. you can only go in the area where you've got your drilling. You know, we've got all this enormous area, and of course, I need wells. I won't get a contingent resource unless I've got wells nearby yeah. that show a correlation. So yeah. uh, you know, we just go step by step, uh, sub basin by sub basin as we build up our resource. And when you talk about sub basin, you're not talking. About, are you talking about sub basins within Nomgon, or are you oh, calling? Yes. 
Okay, so so Nomgon is not a sub base, and the 20, 20 or thirty k is by ten k's. That's uh, okay. So there's, let me just clarify that the block is called Nomgon because that is the the general region, uh, and by coincidence, the first field we've discovered, which is in one uh, separate depot center, is also called Nomgon. Apologies if that's confusing, okay. but that was because we drilled it first and it was successful. Yeah. Good. You'll want to, with the pilot plant, you want to just show that the molecules flow. And then in addition, you're going to be wanting to drill more holes in that, let's call it Nomgon 1 area, to grow that modest first resource into a larger resource. What, at what scale do you think, oh, we've got enough to build a power plant here or start... Um, uh, well, um, I think I think our plans are that um, the uh, the resource we have in uh, Nongon as it is right now is enough to put in our first uh, pilot electricity plant, if you like. I think that these two wells we're going to be doing two wells in a pilot in in a very specific uh, spacing. Uh, they'll be produced. We'll produce the water first into evaporation pond. We'll have pumps, which we're shipping from uh, Australia. There's a lot of a lot of technical effort that we've learnt from um, uh, our experiences in uh, in Australia. Uh, and so we'll get the gas up and flowing. Now you're probably going to ask me how much gas is it going to flow? I I don't know. And this is why we're doing all this work. No one's ever uh, flowed gas like this in uh, in Mongolia in the past, and we really don't know, and I, I don't think I will, uh, you know, offer you an offer you a number. But it's not going to be ten million cubic feet a day. I mean, these are these are relatively uh, low uh, low flow wells, but at the same time, they're very very cheap and modestly drilled. So uh, you know, we don't even a million cubic feet a day is is not that wouldn't be uh, critical. But anyway, I'm I probably have said too much there. But we, no, we no, just no. don't know how it's going to flow. Yeah, and um, so a, a low productivity well in Australia would be a million cubic feet per day. Is that is that? Yeah. yeah. So, well, look, I think you'll find in coal seam gas a, a lot lower. I mean, I think there's plenty of wells in Australia that are uh, less than half a million cubic feet a day that are that are commercial. So because they're quite long lived, and of course they're all very close uh, to facilities in a high uh, high um, uh, price market like the East Coast. That's that. That for me is just a, a just a simple calibration. You know that you've just said that half a million um, cubic feet per day is is a low produce from ten billion days as a high producer um, in that market. Um, <clears throat> so, quick question: are you, Is there any problems with the COVID situation in China? Where they're trying to be zero COVID? You know, does that stop any of your kit getting in and out? Well, look, it certainly slows, slows it down, Merlin. So, look, let me, uh, if you don't mind, I could give you a few little insights into how we've dealt with COVID over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, it has certainly impacted on our business, but at the same time, we've done the best that we possibly could. Uh, typically, uh, I and my technical team would travel to Mongolia regularly, and we, with the purpose of uh, not so much overseeing, but teaching uh, the local geoscientists and team that we have who have never had this type of exposure and expertise on what we're trying to achieve. And of course, when COVID hit, well, we're all grounded. And so uh, things like the drilling of the wells, the testing of the wells, our injectivity testing have to be done remotely. We can't send in experts who would typically come in and run those specific things. So we initiated a, a program whereby uh, we had uh, Zoom cameras like we have now, literally on the drilling rig in the Gobi where people in Australia could coach and tell the locals how, you know, as much as show me that, 
if you can't read the uh, dial, show it to me and I'll tell you what it means. And have you got this tap turned the right way? Is this going, is this pipe heading in the right direction? Amazing. And I've got to say, I'm very proud of the teams we've got on both sides of the world because uh, it was under those conditions that we uh, that we tested our first IFOT and got a uh, hundred and something millidarcies of permeability. It was a very successful test. So, uh, so we do the best we can. Uh, COVID, of course, in is is rife in um, as it is everywhere, but in uh, Mongolia. Most of our team have contracted COVID at one time or another. They can't escape it. And so at times we've had to put um, uh, isolation gurs, which are those round tents, on the rig. And if anyone comes to the rig, they must spend five days in there and make sure they're clear of any illness before they join our team. So we put a lot of effort into that. Uh, with regard to the border, uh, the border is all but closed at the moment. Uh, yeah. And so uh, it is difficult but we can get our, our things through. So where it used to take a month to two months, now it takes three to four months. And I'm sorry, that's, that is the way it is. But uh, look, we use the best people we can and we do get it through. It just takes time. Is it going to affect your timetable this year? Well, uh, I don't think so. The, the biggest things we need to ship now is all the equipment for the, uh, for the pilot program. And that includes mm. the skids, the case, some pumps, uh, the casing's got to come from uh, uh, China. All these things uh, we knew were going to be difficult. They've all been purchased. Most of them, the long lead items, have been either made or are about to be shipped right now. And if we can get through in three to four months, we'll see the drilling start probably towards the middle of the year. Uh, and, look, you know, that's only a few months later than we might have preferred to do, but I think is acceptable and will mean that we'll be able to test the well in the second half of the year and almost definitely have a result before the year closes. It's, it's so interesting to see what, what China's doing with the Olympics now, you know, and yes. what, you know well, whether they're going to try and stay COVID-free or not, or, I mean, you know, stay in their little bubble when it's endemic. And anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, I've long <laughs> given up uh, trying to predict that. <laughs> Well, what we haven't spoken about at all is the difference to methane and hydrogen. Um, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Elixir has gone through this rebranding, going to be the green company, going to produce hydrogen. In a sense, is, is, is that just kind of a little bit further downstream? Is that kind of, is that next year's challenge? Or and if, if I'm looking at this for me as a kind of with a slightly technical head on, for me, is it, am I right to think that the first challenge is to understand how the molecules flow, um, how the, the production profile looks and what the uh, reproducibility is of these pilot programs. You know, you've talked about doing it step by step, but given the structural complexity and the fact that this is a very early um, entry into the Nomgon basins, you know, surely the most, the, 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 the critical things for the next 12 months until at least the end of this year and possibly longer is how that pilot plant performs and what the reproducibility of it is. And, and then the hydrogen methane question is just further down the track. Is that fair or unfair? No, that's, I think that's very fair. I think my, my complete focus as, as the technical lead is on, is on the gas. Look, I know Neil is uh, working heavily on uh, a raft of um, other energy opportunities uh, and, and some of them will be directly related, of course, to what we're doing, but some are actually independent. I mean, uh, you know, he's been working uh, a lot with uh, uh, wind and, and even uh, 
uh, green hydrogen, which means it could come from the water, that either the water that's produced or, or other water in, in our area. So uh, look, there's a lot of opportunity for that. And uh, uh, I think I'm going to be all over the detail because he's really driving the kind of business. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the eco overlay on the top, which is fine. It's branding all that kind of stuff. It's just on, on, the, on the gas molecules, um, it's good by button and then we produce the rest of it. Fine. Exactly. Um, and the, the hydrogen will come with it. Is it cracking um, methane? Is that what, um, uh, well, it can come from uh, cracking methane or it can come from cracking uh, water. So I think uh, they're both reasonable opportunities. Uh, uh, again, it will just it, in that that's an issue of economics. I mean, of course, what they say is that uh, uh, the, uh, the when it's hydrocarbon cracked, uh, it's um, was that called? Um, that's the grey or uh, I forget quite the colour now, but of course not quite as environmentally friendly as if it was just water. So it seems to me when there's gas needed in uh, in this part of the world, most of our methane uh, will head to uh, markets for uh, electricity generation and heating. Okay, and uh, in the dynamics of the local uh, grid network and the pricing contracts, that's all something that, uh, that I should speak to Neil about. Yes, look, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of complexity uh, to that, but he's he's well over that. That's his, in fact, his business. Uh, I must admit, I'm uh, uh, as I look to this year, it's it's going to be drilling twenty exploration wells and 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 then extending our discoveries from the first one at Nomgon into uh, many others that we're going to be uh, drilling this year, and then of course that uh, making sure we get a reasonable flow from that uh, that production pilot test, and making sure we learn as much as possible about the reservoirs that we're going to be producing for many years to come. Okay, well, let's 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 dig a little bit into those twenty exploration wells that you're drilling. Um, yep. How many? Uh, you know, what's the spacing of? Okay, first question is how many are in the Nomgon One discovery area, and how many are in other other sub basins? Okay, I might just take you back to the map now, which I think uh, we can show. Yeah. Oh, let me just pick up the uh, the map, and I'll just uh, show you that. Uh, so this is the uh, the two thousand and twenty two exploration and appraisal program, and uh, you can see the uh, the pilot uh, plan, which is in red. So that's yep. in the Nomgon uh, Depot Centre uh, right here. And then uh, you can see around the area, there's the blues are all of the exploration wells that we're going to be drilling. And the, uh, the yellow is the seismic we'll be acquiring in 2022. So uh, uh, if, you, if you look at that, the, the wells span the entire block. Uh, and look, I will acknowledge they're focused on the, on the southern uh, half. And the reason for that is we've had significant more success in the southern half of the block rather than the north. So uh, that's where we're really uh, going to be hammering it this year. So the wells you can see uh, loosely, most of them are about 20 to 25 kilometres apart. Uh, probably the, the, big, the, the furthest one apart is this one here, which is 50. Uh, bearing in mind the whole block is almost 200 kilometres. Uh, you know, when I out in the field, it would take me most of the day to, to drive from one side of the block to the other. There's no roads to speak of, uh, just four-wheel drive tracks. Amazing. Um, and tell me about the two just on the south of the south edge of the uh, the coal block. Ah, okay, these two guys here. So, yeah. um, look, our, our studies have shown that there is uh, clearly uh, the, the coal at uh, Tavantolgoy does extend to the south into our block. And so we've got two wells there to just to investigate the, uh, the edges of that of that depot centre in the south. So look, it won't be as thick. It won't be as thick as in the uh, uh, in, in the in the Tavern Tolgoy mine itself. So I, I'm not expecting a hundred metres of coal here. It'll probably be more modest around the ten to twenty uh, in this location. But 
good quality coals, and we think they're worth a test. So we're going to put a few wells in there. And on this scale, uh, that looks as though we're almost in their block, but we're clearly on the southern side when you when you zoom in. And um, the 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 sighting of all of these, the the, the other blue dots, um, the 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 position of the other uh, exploration wells, is that being done on the basis of uh, existing sizing that you've got, mapping, uh, intelligence, uh, is it just equidistant between basement rocks in what you believe is a, um, a sub-basin? You know, how have you targeted and cited those? Well, they're very, they're very targeted. Uh, let me say at the get-go that we put a lot of technical effort into every well. We write a well proposal for every well. We predict the, uh, the depth and the thickness of coal in every well. Our tools, as I've said before, uh, uh, existing intelligence where we know a well has already been drilled for mining purposes that might have coal. Of course, is there outcrop? Going down dip of outcrop is always a safe, uh, a safe way to go. We use gravity, we use magnetics, and of course, we use seismic. And so every well that you see here will be on the basis of at least one, if not multiple, of those uh, uses. And um, historically, uh, you mentioned that some of the north, um, the, the coal wasn't productive. And I think you actually said in a couple, there wasn't any coal. But um, is your success rate pretty good on, on finding coal? Uh, success rate runs at about 70 to 75 percent. So uh, three at, uh, about three out of four. So it's not too bad. Uh, look, I'd love to have thought I drew coal everywhere I went. My first 15 wells were all coal. But uh, we did we do drill a few uh, I'd call dry holes or non coal holes from, from time to time, and like I think that's got to be expected in an area this large where there's never been any petroleum uh, exploration. I think it's worth pointing out that the uh, the coal seam business in uh, the east coast of Australia came after extensive uh, oil and gas exploration over half a century. Uh, whereas here, there hasn't been any oil and gas exploration. So we know that there's massive coals from the mines, but the subsurface is very poorly understood and we've had to start from scratch. Yeah, and well, I mean, it's been fantastic you've got that strike rate, particularly with the structural complexity in the area. What, what, what do you budget for a well, roughly, uh, in terms of um, time and money? Uh, right, well, um, I think that in terms, first of all, uh, in Mongolia... Our drillers, our drill companies, uh, prefer to use uh, a turnkey where they drill on a depth basis. Now, this is pretty unusual around the world because it means they're taking all the drilling risk. And if they get stuck in the hole or their machines break or something goes wrong and they don't make any, any hole that day, we don't pay. So, uh, so the, the wells are very, very modestly priced. Now, look, I'm, I'm, Neil hasn't actually released any pricing on these, so I'll leave okay. it to him if he wants to wants to do that. But, uh, look, I will say that they're a fraction of what you might pay in Australia for the same well. And, of course, uh, as we talked about, you know, the great equation of production versus um, economics, well, of course, that plays into it heavily. And so I don't think it would be a secret to say that you'd need a, you could make a significantly lower flow rate economic here as opposed to in uh, in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Well, great, um, Greg. Thank you so much. It's been a, a it's been a fascinating introduction to Alexi Energy and the technical side of things. Uh, is, are there things that um, I haven't asked about? Anything that you want to 
kind of kind of talk about on a technical side of things that I haven't kind of touched on. You know, what, what jumps out? No, look, I think it's I think it's been a pretty uh, a broad ranging dis- discussion. I mean, you're obviously pretty astute. Uh, one thing that I I did want to mention, which I'm I'm very proud of, is is the team we've got both in Mongolia and in uh, in Australia. And as I mentioned to you at the beginning, we've uh, not gone down the path of hiring a lot of uh, expensive expats in, in country. In fact, we have none. We only have local people. There's a team of probably eight geoscientists plus other support staff and engineers, etc. And in Australia, uh, we've gone down the path of hiring uh, part-time contractors who are very experienced in the business of coal seam gas. And so it had meant that we can get the very best people that we can switch on and switch off, where everybody, of course, works from home pretty much these days. I'm at home now. And so uh, we find that I can call experts in uh, organic geochemistry, structural geology operations, who I've worked with for 20 or 30 years. We get them together. We solve problems via the Zoom method. And then when we're finished, they're off to do something else. And so we can find we can make a, uh, a very uh, effective business at quite a modest price. And uh, something I'm particularly proud of, that we've been very successful at, at high-end technical work, a great deal of depth to the team, and yet I don't have 10 or 15 people uh, you know, on salary. Um, well, this, the, the, the pandemic's been an ex- extraordinary accelerator of technology, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's yeah, transformed yeah. working practices around the world. Do, do, do most people speak Russian as kind of, are they, are they taught Russian at school? Is it? Cons- uh, yeah, well, um, look, I describe it uh, like this. It's uh, first language, of course, is, uh, is Mongolian. And if you are uh, probably up to about um, uh, over 40 years of age, then uh, you're probably going to speak Russian. But if you're younger than 40, uh, English will probably be your second language. Thank you so much. Um, I look forward to seeing the ongoing news about the exploration worlds. Um, Is that news going to be coming through on kind of a regular basis, you know, um, and I know that Neil might be doing that, but from a technical side, will you be working kind of on those wells? Uh, so let's let's say you've got, um, we've got 11 months of the year left. You've got 22 yep. wells. That's two a month. Um, is, 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 is that the plan? You, you're starting now and it's two a month, boom, 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 for the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, look, in fact, um, of course, the weather in Mongolia now is, is horrendous. And so, and, and of course, it's also... Um, their uh, the new year so we won't start again probably till the end of this month february so i think it's fair to say that most companies not all but most companies if they're working all year round will take um a little bit of december january and, and february off because it's so difficult i know that there is a company working out there at the moment but most have pulled down so we'll start in uh in late february early march we'll have two rigs running constantly and uh neil would normally report about once a month or so on that. Uh, there'll be a third rig once we start the pilot drilling. And of course, there will be some great news there that we'd expect uh, you know, around the middle of the year. Great, well, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.